To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week, this is one I'm excited to release to you guys. I've been trying to put this together for a while. Um, so this is Mike Deming is the guest for today's show. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not, but he's just a consistent killer, and he's just been getting it done for years um, on Western Game. And so he's just got such a huge knowledge base, and, and um, he's, he's just a super guy too. I really enjoyed getting to meet him, enjoyed having him on the podcast and the different conversations we had. So he's definitely a guy I'm going to keep in contact with and, and try to put a hunt together with. Um, but the podcast is super. You guys will really enjoy it. It's on the longer side of things. I think it goes about an hour and a half with the intro the ending but um just a great conversation all the way through and through sponsor for today's show is zamberlin boots um so i've been using zamberlin now for the last couple years they just they build such high quality boots that they keep waterproof um you know they're made with fine italian leather they're made lightweight and and i really like using like a a lightweight hiker for mountaineering and and they just have the perfect fit so this year i'm trying out the new 320 trail lights um and i think they're they're going to be a great fit for the the mountains and also getting the lightweight that i like i've also used the 1000 baltoro gtx's um, they're a little bit higher of a boot, but uh, a solid mountaineering boot. Uh, and I use them in the wintertime. Um, they're really good in the snow and seem to keep my feet warm. But they just got a great selection of boots. You can find something that, that fits you and the type of hunting you do. So Zamerlin Boots, thanks for them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, also today, we're brought to you by Yeti. Uh, Yeti has just changed the way that I hunt. Um, you know, I... I didn't know that a high-end cooler would do so so many benefits for, you know, whether it's truck hunting or even hunting wilderness and just having a cooler full of ice to so when I get out of the mountains I can store meat and it helps me like hunting with buddies where, you know, we may have two tags and one guy fills out and he's able to hike his meat back and then ice it down in the cooler and keep it for days on end, you know, so the other guy can continue to hunt. And it it just it cools that that meat down so quick and in hunting during the bow season where it's hot a lot it it's so essential to, to keep your meat and get it cooled down quick so um yeti coolers have just changed the way i hunt i've got a new soft-sided cooler that i'm really excited about so when i fly to places like new zealand or hawaii this is how i'm going to get my meat back home uh, you can use it as a carry-on on the planes freeze your meat solid and then it'll stay frozen solid on the plane ride so super excited about that they also have thermoses, um, you know, cups, where they call it tumblers and ramblers. Um, I use that thermos. My coffee stays hot all day. So just a bunch of great products. So thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, let's get this conversation rolling. Oh, I got uh, what we got going on at Eastman's. I almost forgot. So uh, that Nevada episode that I did, um, it came out. Be on the lookout for it on the Outdoor Channel. DVR it or um, let's see. I'll, I'll get the nights and times and put it on the next podcast. But um, it's a really good episode. I'm really proud of the way it turned out. Uh, we got great Beyond the Grids coming out. Uh, the magazine, I just had an article I, I wrote in there. I'm super pumped about it. Now, the, the articles... 
in the magazine, um, the pro staff articles, I I I really enjoy writing them. I really enjoy reading them. I get so many benefits out of our staff writing articles. And then I also enjoy our members' articles. They're getting so good at writing these things. And I'm picking up podcast guests just from you know some of these articles that are being written and submitted and um, trying to put one together right now with Sean Morgan, which would just make a great podcast. He killed that great cover buck on the last one. So uh, if you guys aren't a subscriber, um, you can subscribe by texting Elevated319 to 22828. It'll get you both magazines for $29.99 and get you the free MRS book. It's the other thing with subscriptions. That MRS section is so valuable. I've been using it for years just to get a feel of these different states, the hunts, where the quality is, the type of terrain. Uh, it's just an awesome resource for us Western hunters. So, uh, again, you can text Elevated319 to 22828. And also, guys, I really appreciate the support on this promo code. So, um, you know, it just ties back to the podcast and, and shows the support, um, you know, that we have in the community that we're building. So it really goes a long ways for me. So um, thanks a bunch, guys. I appreciate it. And without further ado, let's get into this podcast. So I really enjoyed this one. It's me and Mike Deming, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here with Mike Deming. Uh, we've been trying to make this happen for a while. Um, so so you've been friends with the Eastmans, with uh, Ike and Guy for years now. Thanks for being on, Mike. I really appreciate it. You bet. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, I've been friends with those guys for, I don't know, seems like two decades. I think it's 15 years. I started Sportsman's News 15 years ago now. So I know I've been friends with them since the very beginning because I reached out and said, hey, we've got some mutual interest now and i'm kind of doing what you guys do and so that's kind of how that started and we've we've talked a lot shared a lot of information back and forth and making sure that doesn't all get published <laughs> <laughs> some on the record some off right C- correct man you don't you don't want to give up your honey hole all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it uh well no i'm just really excited to have you on i really enjoyed our interactions back and forth and we've been trying to put this together for a while but the problem is is that uh i hunt so much and you hunt so much like trying to get our our schedules connected has been tough yeah, full year last year that it could never just hook up. I mean, it, we need September and October to be about 90 days long, and I'm sure it probably still wouldn't be enough. We'd figure out how to fill it up and go chase big mule deer and big elk. Yeah, well, I think um, you're the one guy that hunts as much or maybe even more than I do. It seems like you're always <laughs> on a trip somewhere. We actually ran into each other in New Zealand. I was hopping on a plane in New Zealand, and I had a text pop up on my phone, and uh, it was Mike Deming. And he says, hey, are you in New Zealand right now? I said, yeah. And he says, I'm sitting right in front of you on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw the back of your head there. I'm like, man, that really looks like Brian. I what are the chances of him being headed to the South Island in New Zealand? And we can't hook up on the Skype or anything else in the States, but we can, we can hook up in the South Island in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. But uh, we had a good conversation there while we were waiting for our bags and then kind of put this together. So, yeah, I'm just excited to get you on. Um, you, our passions just align. Um, you love big mule deer and big elk and hunting bears and, and also uh, international hunting, running into you. In New Zealand, um, yeah, that was something through Sportsman News, right? Where you were you were doing the video work for those guys. What what is that program, Mike? 
So actually, Sportsman's News is the official publication of Sportsman's Warehouse. That was that was a venture that I started 15 years ago when I got out of mortgage banking. I sold my mortgage company in Las Vegas, Nevada, 15, 16 years ago, and I didn't make enough money to retire. So I knew I needed to go do something, and I was passionate about hunting and fishing, camping, the outdoors. So my grandfather always told me, figure out how to make money doing what you love to do, and you'll never work a day in your life. So I looked at all kinds of different things, and I had talked to some local guys here that had a small publication called Southern Utah Outdoors, and they they asked me, are you interested in buying into this or you know being a partner? So having a finance background, I said, yeah, sure, send me send me all your financials and thing, and I I looked at everything pretty thoroughly. And when it got all said and done, I said, man, you guys really don't have a, a viable business to buy. Your your distribution costs are through the roof. And, you know, my business an analysis mind went to work. And I said, if you guys could figure out a way to do what you do and get a better distribution source, you would you actually are on to something. And one of the guys said, hey, what, a, what about putting it into a sportsman's warehouse? And I mean, this is back in 03. So I have no idea what Sportsman's Warehouse was. I think at that time there was maybe four or five stores and just up and comers. So I started doing a little bit of research. You know, 15 years ago, we think about just getting on Google and checking stuff out. That that wasn't as readily available at that point in time, either that or my redneck behind just wasn't as thorough in being able to research stuff. So I found out a little bit about Sportsman's Warehouse. I talked to some outfitters that had bought some stuff there and some friends. They knew the owner of that. So I entertained that idea of let's go try and make a uh, something work with these guys. And we did all that stuff, and it worked absolutely perfect. It took about six months to get it launched and off of the ground and get all the publications dialed in. And I basically kept two of those partners that were involved in that other publication, and we were able to get that stuff done, and it was just awesome. We moved forward, and after doing that for about 15 years, uh, well, I guess it was about 11 years at the time, I had hunted and fished and done just about everything I could possibly imagine doing, and I thought, wow, this would be really good if we could give some trips away and have other people go do that. Well, I knew that I could obviously give tons of trips away, but we needed help cash flow that. Some of these trips, like you just went to New Zealand, you know what that costs to get down there, just airfare alone, you know, $1,500, $2,000, and that's just out of the gate. So we started what we called was the pro membership sweepstakes and started a membership-based program, basically cost 300 bucks a year, we give away over $350,000 a year worth of trips, guns, and gear. But what it allowed me to do, it allowed me to go film and be with these people as winners, do world-class trips, gather the content that I needed to gather, and just go have fun. I didn't always have to be the shooter, and I didn't have to be on the road as much being the hunter. So that was enjoyable to me. So that's kind of evolved. We've been into that four years now, but that's how I ended up in New Zealand that was like the third time we've given away trips down there. So I was down there with two different winners. We were shooting a red stag, uh, two of them, as well as a tar. So it it worked out really good. We had a great time, and, and that's why I ended up in New Zealand. 
Oh, how cool. Um, and while you're talking about it, um, how do guys get in on some of these drawings? Is it through sportsmen's or how do they um, – to, uh, to put their name in the hat? Like so many tags and hunts nowadays are given away through these raffles that is – if you can get your name in a bunch of hats, you got a chance to win one of these next-level you know, adventures that you guys are putting on. Absolutely. Well, we started up a whole separate – email address and you know website for the whole deal and it's promembershipsweepstakes.com somebody can log on there we don't ask for a ton of information it's cost we did a monthly option as well as an annual option 297 dollars a year or 27 bucks a month i grew up from a, a family that was really really poor i mean when we would go out and go scout for elk or deer or do something over a weekend you know, we would drive until we had a half a tank of gas, and that was it. You got out and parked and walked because we didn't have enough money to get back. If not, there wasn't just more money to go do that. So when I was developing this, I kind of did it for that guy to be able to go. To go, If he won a trip, he could truly go do a trip of a lifetime. Because when I was a kid, I, was open, I grew up in Colorado. We, we got the Colorado outdoors and outdoor life. And when that thing would show up in the mail that day, I would sit down and just read it cover to cover. And that was my passion. And you know, I was raised by my great aunt and uncle pretty much. And my aunt said, if you would just study your school books to that extent, you, uh, you would really do well and you'd have a career because you know you're not going to make a month, make any money hunting and fishing. So I kind of did that to prove her wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, um, you know, like the, the advice that your grandfather gave you, you know, do something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. And it, it is um, like finding your passion and figuring out what it is, but then it's just working towards it, you know. But you can you can make anything out there happen. Um, you know, we have such opportunity out there, and and um, you know, I'm the same way as I was. Uh, I I just ate up like the outdoors. I, I I moved straight after high school to from Washington to Montana for for more outdoor opportunities. And then I just ate it up. I I ate, slept, breathed, bow hunting. <laughs> I absolutely loved it, and I spent all my time doing it or working to get better at it and gathering information. Like you say, I mean, the Eastman's was huge, I and mean, it's part of the reason why I work for them now. Is you know, as a kid, I would just get these magazines and I just eat them up. And it it wasn't the day and age of the internet like you talk about. Research was a lot tougher. Information was a lot tougher to find and and figure out. And there there wasn't many guys out with a bow trying to hunt high country mule deer. Now there there was guys doing it, but there just wasn't a lot of publications telling you how to do it or where to go or how to find it. You know, but. Those were the good old days. Man, that was fun, just chasing my passion, you know? Yeah, and nobody wanted to share those honey holes. They'd give you a little bit of advice. You spend hours talking to biologists and different people. And, you know, the sad thing is about it, once you start doing it yourself, you realize that, hey, most of those biologists spend more time sitting behind their desks than they did out in the field. So you're like, how good is this information? And you're trying to, you know, you got to drive 15, 18 hours to go scout somewhere. And you're like, wait a minute, this 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 data doesn't work. So you totally got to depend on really good friends and getting out there and and you know burning boot leather to say say the least. And the internet has has really changed a lot of that. There's a lot of people out there posting stuff and having uh, 
you know, your photos show where you're at. Some people haven't figured out how to turn that stuff off. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's right. You take a picture with your iPhone. It has in the picture data your – it has your waypoint of where that picture was taken, right? Yeah, no, I'd really like that for people who haven't figured out how to turn that off yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and it's um, it's changed and evolved, but the essence of it is still the same. Even though there's more information out there, there's more guys doing it, and everybody has that information now. So you have to continue to work hard and continue to evolve in this new age to find trophy critters and to find you know those locations and spots that grow those mature animals. So it's evolved and changed, but back in the the olden days, like like you could go to any good mule deer spot and and find mule deer just because there wasn't as many guys doing it. There wasn't as many guys researching, and you you had to figure it all out off maps and and compasses, and you know you'd have to drive so many miles down a road to know when you were in public. It was a lot tougher to figure <laughs> out where you were at, but it made for good hunting. But now in this new age. It's just evolved where you just have to continue – like the the formula, the equation is still the same. Hard work and effort, you know, and you, you put For that sure. into an area or a species, and you, you get that out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. We hunt a unit in Colorado, which shall remain nameless at this point in time. <laughs> but there is a bunch of people that – you know, they see the bucks that we've killed over there over the years. And every year I get tons of phone calls from people like, where are you hunting, what unit? And we'll talk about that. And sure enough, they'll show up over there on second season. And, you know, day one, day two, day three, we'll meet in town. And I try to give them some pointers on where to go. Anybody that's going to go to that extent, I try to share enough information with them. And, you know, by about day four, they're ready to throw in the towel and just go home and, you know, one guy specifically that had came over there and hunted, and he, he hunted two years in a row. The first year, he didn't get one, and the second year, uh, he shot a fairly small buck, and we met at the gas station when it was time to pull out of there, and we had done really, really well. Uh, we'd killed a buck that was, my buck was a 199 and like 4.8s. We'd killed a 182, a 187, and a 177 buck. And they were all underneath the tarp of my truck. And he said, well, how did you guys do? You know, I'd I'd like to see, can I see the bucks you guys killed? And I pulled the tarp back and I thought he was going to go into cardiac arrest right there (laughs) at the gas station. And, you know, he thought that I was holding out. And I I ended up killing one of those bucks on the day before the last day, which was a place I had actually sent him to. And he texted me later and said, yeah, there's just nothing over there. And, you know, those big bucks, they just they're they spend no time on their feet. I don't know if they they get poached or if just the excess pressure from over the counter elk tags is over there enough. It's I, I just haven't figured it out. What I do know is that the bucks that I've killed in that unit, I always find bedded and I find them at two or three miles away with my optics. And then we sneak in. I'm not trying to do like you do and bow hunt them. We're hunting them with a rifle second season. And a lot of those deer, we're killing it five or 600 yards because they are they lay in a place where the wind swirls. And, and I'm not sure you could get on them bow hunting, obviously, during this time of year, maybe with the, you know, the different wind that you have in September time frame, you might pull it off. But we've killed a lot of really big deer over there. I think we've killed five. I've personally killed five bucks in the 90s and um nine bucks over 180 in the last 12 or 13 years there 
Oh, that's incredible, Mike. That's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. Yeah, that's well. It's not just the areas and and big mature deer and elk. They live in in the majority of units across the West. But it's not only the spots. It's how you hunt the spots, and it's your right. hunting skill and your instincts, and it's everything combined. It takes years to develop that hunting skill and that glassing skill and locating animal skill. And so, like you say, you can point guys in the right direction, but it's also the way you hunt it it's the way you move through country the vantage points you get being on the vantage points at the right time believing in the process like all that has to combine to be able to locate those bucks and then harvest those bucks and it's it's so difficult such a high degree of difficulty whether with a bow or with a rifle during during rifle season like there's a lot more pressure and those those bucks don't have the lax alpine attitude nor do are they in the rut they're in that uh that that pre-rut which is the toughest time to kill a big mature buck you know because like you say he's just not on his feet during daylight hours very much you just have a very small window to catch him in the morning or to catch him in the evening and that secondary living they they just get in that thick cover and they're tough to pick out so so i mean it's all credit to your hunting skill and the the years of of hunting that you've put in to develop your skill set to be able to harvest those bucks well, thanks, man. You know, one of the things that we really did learn about those mule deer and going back year after year, like I killed that 198 buck that year and he was with a buck that was uh, mid 170s, 29 inches wide, just a nice heavy horn mature deer. Uh, you just needed a couple more years on him. And lo and behold, we were went back in there, looked at him the next year. Uh, he was within 200 yards of where I'd killed that 198 buck. He still hadn't done much, and we looked at him. And the next year, I hunted somewhere else, uh, but I took a buddy in there, and we went over there and we killed that buck. And he was in the mid 190s again. Uh, or that year, he had he'd blown up enough where he put on 15, 20 inches, and and same thing. We shot him within 400 yards of where I'd shot that 198 deer. So you just watch deer grow up and they're with other mature deer. They're there for a reason. So I noticed that hunting the same unit year in and year out really helps with that standpoint. You know, when we're hunting a unit that's second season, it doesn't cost a tremendous amount for a landowner voucher and and you're going to draw it every third year. And the other thing with it being Colorado, it's an over the counter elk tag. So if I can't generate a landowner voucher, I cannot hunt, uh, you know, draw the tag. I'm not going to miss a year in the unit. I'm going to go over with an elk tag and I'm going to look around and I'm looking, you know, hopefully I kill an elk and fill the freezer. We're usually not finding something too big other than we've killed some, you know, buck bulls over there in the three forties on an over the counter tag, but I'm looking for big mule deer. That's my true passion. And I'm just, I'm trying to find good mature bucks with up and comer bucks because guaranteed they're going to be in that area, you know, next year, second season, the year after that second season, unless somebody kills them. So I know that the better the inventory I have of big deer and up and coming deer, the better chance I have of consistent, consistently being consistent year in and year out. And I don't want to wait, you know, 15, 20, 30 years to be able to draw a tag for some of these premium limited entry units. A lot of people, you know, want to do that. And I get it when you can't spend, you know, the dollars or the time or the vacation. But just because you're waiting to hunt that doesn't mean that that unit, you know, the Ponsagon, the Henry Mountains, the the Arizona Strip, they get hunted every year. 
And since they're the most sought after unit, they get hunted by the best hunters in the world each and every year. So if you're not in there every year, you've got your work cut out for you. When you do burn that 20, 25 points to get in and draw that tag, you better hire an outfitter or a guide or or be able to spend that hunting season there every year because somebody else is in there and they know what those bucks are doing during the rut. They know what they do during the drought. They know what to do when they're, they have excess pressure, when they get early freezes. There's so many things that affect those animals and the way they move. And if you're not in tune with that, you're not going to get one of those big deer. Yeah, it's such a great point. Like, um, you know, when you, you wait to hunt these units, you have to also be building your skill set. So when you do draw one of those units, you can go in and, and figure it out and find a way to be successful. But, yeah, that's the best way to hunt trophy deer. Like a lot of the units that that I hunt pulling 180, 190, and 200-inch deer out of are zero-point units, one-point yeah. unit, two-point units. Like I want to be able to hunt it often and learn it. And you're right. These bucks, they – they they grow up um they're, they're animals of habit right and yep. so to be a mature buck they found a drainage that they can live in in the early season and they live in this drainage and they know it like the back of their hand and they survive in there and same thing with mid-season they find this mid-season feature where they're able to grow up to be five six seven years old and so yeah. the more of these bucks you can locate and kind of know where they're hanging you know then you can go in and check in on them or you know the you, you find different bucks that it, that it, that live in that area but i also find it true for like the rut like yeah. hunting like uh Eastern Montana, there's 19,000 non-residents. Everybody can hunt Eastern Montana. It's got big populations of mule deer. They're not known to get real big out there because they they don't get to grow up to you know those older age classes. They get shot at three and four. Yeah. But what I found is is these bucks. They find a drainage that they can rut in that's away from the roads, that's tough to yep. glass, that's a, a tough feature to get to, and all of a sudden that buck will go there and rut year after year, and then you find some of these spots, and then you start finding these five-year-old deer, these six-year-old deer and seven-year-old deer, and eastern Montana isn't known for growing giants, but I found these areas and these drainages that these bucks rut year after year where they grow up and get mature because there is less pressure in there. So you're so right. It's about putting in your time in these units and really learning from them and i find that these animals travel the same trails the same saddles they bed in the same areas they feed in the same features year after year and so once you can start to identify those you, you can also take that information and, and then you transpose it to another feature on the mountain and go, you know, this basin faces the same way. It kind of yeah. has the same look. I'm going to go into this drainage and go check that out. And then you just start adding to your knowledge base of that unit. All of a sudden you find another drainage that the bucks like to hang out. Now you got options, you know, and I, I just think that's the biggest key to hunting out West and learning stuff, you know, for yourself. Yeah. Get in the game and you got to play the game year in and year out, you know, whether it's Montana, Colorado, Utah, you know, the places where you can get a tag every year. That's just so important. I get so sad for the people that just want to sit down and wait to build points all the time and just hope that once I build those points, it's I'm going to find that buck of a lifetime. And, you know, it's not to say that it's not possible. There's some units that are managed for for that, but there's not many places you're going to be able to drive around and shoot a 180 type buck out of the truck. And, and <laughs> it's just a challenge. 
man, that's the truth. It's a challenge, and it takes a commitment level too. Like, like for me, learning all these states and all these units, and I love exploring new country. And so, but it, it comes easy to me, but it doesn't. It's so much time and effort. You know, it's time down there scouting. It's time looking over the maps and the Google Earth, and, and then it's driving down there and paying the gas money and hiking into the yeah. mountains. And it's also you put a lot of effort in um, for. And go into a spot, and sometimes you don't find a buck in there. You strike out. Yeah. It, it looked good on the maps, but when you go and put your eyes on the country, the bucks don't like it for some reason. And I may strike out two, three, four. Like I know in Montana, I looked at ten different mountain ranges and hiked in them looking for high country mule deer before I finally found a mountain range that had a huntable population of mature deer. <laughs> like that's the type of effort it takes to find these spots. <laughs> well, that's one thing that, we, that I get a lot with, with what we do with the pro membership sweepstakes is I give away mostly guided hunts. And some of the pushback I get with some of these people are like, well, we don't, we don't really want to do a guided hunt. We don't need to do a guided hunt. And you talk about the, uh, the effort and the time that it takes. And, you know, when you're building houses and doing stuff like that, you got to, especially up where you live, you got six months to work when winter's not set in. You got to make the most of that. So in some cases, I do find that it's good to hire a guide if it's it's too time restraining to go truly scout it, especially if it's a unit that you are going to burn a lot of points in and it's taken you, you know, four or five, six thousand dollars in application fees and hunting license fees over the years to get to that. And you don't have time to go scout that or you haven't had time to scout it during that season for multiple years. I don't I don't mind hiring a guide. So that's kind of what I tell the guys. Like, Well, I, I don't need a guide and I'm willing to hire a guide when I can't do that, especially when gas prices are, you know, creeping up three dollars, four dollars a gallon. It doesn't take too many scouting trips to start getting up there where it, it costs what it takes to do a guide fee. And the other thing is I, I learn a lot. I've done a lot of guided hunts with the pro membership sweepstakes. I've done a lot of uh, guided hunts when I was a banker and I didn't have the time to go do that stuff. And you're hunting with somebody who kills between, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 animals a year. And they've done it for decades on end. I, I have become a way better hunter hunting with some of those guided guys and outfitters that they just knew and I might learn something. I also might learn something that they don't know what they're doing and they're not any good. And that's how we came up with our endorsed outfitter program and the pro member sweepstakes sweep where we're buying the best hunts with the best outfitters during the best time. So uh, it's it's not bad to hire an outfitter sometimes if you can't go do what you know, you're know you doing and spend you know weeks on end down there scouting. It's, it takes a lot of time, especially when you got little ones at home and you're a you're an absentee dad because you want to go chase big stuff. It's it doesn't always go over well, so it's better to write that check occasionally. Yeah, you're um you bring up a really good point, Mike. Like it's it is taboo. Like our us us Western hunter do it yourself public land. Like like that is the prize, and, and it's something that I cherish. And success means so much to you when you do accomplish it. But you have to put so much into it. And and all of our lives, we're all individuals, and it's all structured different. And you're right. Some people have more money than they have time, or they have a little bit of extra money that they've saved for their hunting budget. But they not they might not be able to scout for a month, two months, three months to be 
able to find these <laughs> locations. And if they draw a good tag, like it could be a tag that took them 15, 20 years to draw, and they want to go in and be successful there. But but with their limited amount of time, it's going to be a high degree of difficulty to go down – or it's going to be really difficult for them to go down there and be successful. And you're right, hiring a guide, like it, it's not like you have somebody holding your hand the whole time. It, it's like basically – um, you know, you hire a guy, but he's he's so knowledgeable, like you say, hundreds of animals, and he knows that terrain intimately. Like he's scouted it, he's hunted it for years, he knows the patterns of the animals, and it's pretty much just like teaming up with him as a buddy. And like you say, to pay one guide fee, that might be the smartest move out there is to go be guided for a high country mule deer or a mule deer someplace just because of the knowledge gain. Like you say, like you get to learn from this guy and shorten your learning curve. You could shorten five years off your learning curve by going with somebody that really knows how to glass and really knows how to hunt this terrain and stock this terrain. You guys team up as buddies. You pay this fee one time. You get to use all this information gained on your future hunt. So you're right. It's yeah. it's a bit taboo of a subject, but I don't think it's a bad thing to hire a guy when you draw a good tag or when you want a good hunt, especially if you don't have the, the, the time and the or don't have, you know, the, the time to learn a unit and give it the effort it deserves. Yeah, people don't really realize how much time it does take to learn that. You can only learn so much on Google Earth, and I love that resource. But like you said before, when you you finally make the commitment, I've got my maps out, I'm printed, I'm ready to go. I go down there, you've got all kinds of stuff dialed in. and You know, you, you've made 10 different trips to Montana. They're looking for a place and. The, the deer didn't always get the knowledge that this was a really good area on Google Earth. They don't have Google Earth, so <laughs> <laughs> they've got to figure out, okay, this is where I go. So it takes a lot of time to go do that, and, you know, hey, time is money. And, and tell that to your kids when you're going to be gone all the time. I, I'm as passionate about going out and chasing that big stuff as anybody else, but there are certain times when you're – your daughter looks at you and says, hey, are, are, are you going to make it to the dance recital this time, Dad? It's like, wow, I really need to go find that big buck because I burned a lot of points for this. And they bat those big blue eyes at you, and you just got to say, no, I'm going to stay home this time. So. Yeah, it's it's part of um, it, it's part of like we want to be um better hunters and next level hunters, but I also want to be a better and next level dad. Like that is so <laughs> important to me, you know. And, and you're right, like you could put your head down and work for a couple weeks at your job and save that money and buy a guide, or you can spend, you know, or maybe you've got the time to spend two three weeks down in a unit and take that off in the summer summertime, and then also get your time off during hunting season. So it, it's um. You know, you got to look at what's right for you and what makes sense for you. But um, you're right; we got to be there for our, for our kids. And that, um, especially trying to hunt a unit that's 12 hours away or 20 hours away, it it's just hardly feasible. Yeah, for sure. I've. Uh... Did I lose you? No, no, I got oh, you. I thought, I thought I lost you there. Um, you know, I've got I've got 26 points for Nevada, and I am up applying this year for uh, for elk. I've applied numerous times. I have absolutely the worst luck known to man. So, <laughs> but Nevada's being is very close to me, so I can spend you know a weekend over there scouting really easy. But you know, will you wait for that year in that you're going to get that really good opportunity? This could very well be that year uh, that we draw that elk tag. But 26 points to burn for an elk tag. 
if I didn't, if it wasn't as close as it is, I would definitely, you know, hire a guide from that standpoint. And we've got an outfitter that we do stuff with over there. And he's, you know, he's become a really good friend. We send a lot of people his direction and they, they kill a lot of really big bulls, but uh, I'm going to do my very best to do that on my own. But if somebody throws me a lead over there on a, on a bull, that's, you know, 390 plus says I'm going to bow hunt it. Um, that's my true passion is to, I do like to bow hunt elk or I'll, I'll do any mule deer with any weapon available as long as I can hunt big ones. But elk hunting with a bow when they're screaming and ripping and roaring is pretty exciting, especially when you can, you can chase some really big ones and Nevada with the moisture and stuff we're having this year. Um, it could very well be a year that, uh, we see some monsters come out of there. So I'm, I'm pretty rewarded when I can actually go do a do it yourself on it. It's my passion. And I'm going to call in all those favors from all those friends that I've gave data to over the years when I didn't draw a tag. So now it's time to expand the network. <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's time to cash in on that. Um, well, hopefully this is the year you draw. Like I think this year's like a one in 10 or one in 20 for, especially those, those drier places like Nevada, it's going to grow some giant bulls this year. And you're right. That is the most thrilling hunting going with a bow and arrow chasing bulls during the rut. It's as good as it gets. Yeah, when you can hunt a state like Nevada, I mean, have you had an opportunity to hunt Nevada for elk at all? No, I haven't. I'm the same as you where I'm building points. I hunt Nevada for deer quite a bit, um, just getting real aggressive with my applications and drawing bow units down there. But no, I haven't had the chance for elk yet, but I really want it. Man, there is a lot of elk in that state. But uh, what's really surprising to me is the, uh, you know, most states there's more bow tags than there is rifle tags usually. Um, Nevada for, I think I'm, I think I'm vying for one of 45, uh, archery tags, whereas a non-resident, there's almost, uh, tri triple that for rifle tags, but I don't want to do it with a rifle. I'm going to do it with a bow. And even though the bow season's not exactly ideal there, it's like August 16th to September 12th. So not the, you know, what one would think is the heat of the rut, but it tends to be it pretty good on the later side of things. If I can you know, scout. And I've got some good bulls on my hit list already that, you know, if they didn't get killed and, and they show up, it's time to start looking here in another 60 days and see what we can find, see if they made it and see if we can. I hate to say that 400 number, but uh, that's a really big one. And that's what I'd like to put an arrow in and kind of my target, go big or go home. And I don't mind if I have to eat the tag. That's one that I'd I'd like to hunt most of the 28, 29 day season they have to offer until, or at least until I get a bull of that caliber. It's, it sure is fun when you can play the game with something like that and you know, it's there. How oh, isn't it like, that's like the funnest thing for me too. Uh, I always say worth the price of admission, but yeah, to, uh, to have that attitude of I'm either going to kill a giant or I'm going to go home with my tag and be okay with that. That that's what my, you know, I've started to transition into too, is, is just to have an opportunity at those big ones. It's worth passing, you know, a bull that I've already killed or a size that I've already killed just to have the chance at it. And a tag like that, Nevada, you've been waiting years for it. Um, you're right. I, you, you have the best attitude that you can go and hunt the entire season. And if you don't kill one and you put all your effort forth, you're going to be okay with it. Or at least that's the way I would feel. Absolutely. You know, I had, uh, I had a tag here in Utah on the beaver in 2010. It was a pretty good moisture, actually almost too good of a moisture year. Uh, if that makes any sense. And it didn't to me at the time, because we were just getting pounded with rain. It was nonstop. Uh, you know, you'd go to the high country 
in July and August before it kicked off. And literally fields where I would, you know, high country open meadows where I would normally see elk. I wasn't seeing elk. And one day I sat there all evening and got back in there the next morning. And I just couldn't figure out what the deal was. Well, what I didn't understand is looking at this thing from a mile and a half away, the grass was so tall that the biggest bulls, you could barely see the tips of their antlers coming out of the grass. And I didn't realize that until I went down there to hang a trail camera to see if they were skirting it or what they were doing. And I realized that, you know, the, that mountain meadow had turned into a jungle. And later that year, I ended up hunting 28 days of that season. I was after a couple of really big bulls that I knew were there. We had a big, huge fire in the north end of the unit had pushed those two big shooter bulls over onto the Pavant, and they got killed with rifle hunters, and the bull I was chasing in the south was, I felt was over 400. I never saw him again, but a lot of the bulls that were known bulls were 15 or 20 percent smaller, and it made no sense to me because we had so much grass, and that year I hunted Texas. And I spent the majority of the time hunting with the guy that was the ranch manager there. And he had a biology degree. And he had told me that the in a situation like that, that a lot of the, the forage that they're eating is filler. That grass has the most nutritional value when it's just coming out of the ground. And when it's getting absolutely pounded nonstop like that, and that grass is, you know, two, three, four foot tall, yeah, they're eating, but it does not have the nutritional value in it to, to really grow the antlers. And I'm sure that that's obviously just one piece of the puzzle. They had to come out of winter in good, you know, good body health and everything that goes into that. But that was something that was really concerning. And I, I hope I don't get, get a chance to see that this year. You know, knowing Nevada, it's going to, you know, June's going to get here. It's going to get 115 degrees. And, you know, the forage they get, they're going to be scrounging for it. It'll be good nutritional value. But that was some really interesting information to hear from that biologist guy in Texas on what we were dealing with that year. And I did, I ate the tag and that whole time I was so focused on a number that, and that number for me that year was 380. I, I just wasn't going to shoot anything less than that. I realized at the end of the season, I didn't enjoy the hunt as much because I put a number, I didn't enjoy the experience and, you know, that was, you know, nine years ago. I'm 51 years old now. I have a little bit different outlook on things now than I did. I'm not so concerned on a number as I am enjoying the experience. Um, I think we put a lot, a lot of emphasis on number. I care about shooting something old, mature, and something that's beat out a lot of people. But, you know, if he doesn't make that specific number, you know, he can't make it. You know, I can't. Have, I'm not six five and two hundred and eighty pounds either. I'm probably a pretty big disappointment to a lot of people. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm still. I'm gonna. If I can find a big, massive, mature animal that's beat a lot of people, you know, that that's a win in my in my eyes. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Like we get so goal orientated that that sometimes we take the fun out of it. And in in my younger years, I was so goal orientated where I had to arrow a big buck and he had to score 180 or better and he like and I just put so much pressure on myself that that I wasn't enjoying the experience as much as I should where I, yeah, I've kind of changed my perception on it where you know, I, I'm just going to go, you know, and you're so much more effective when you relax and you take <laughs> in the experience and you don't put that pressure on yourself. Success just seems to come. You seem to find those bucks and get plays 
opportunities at them and get chances at them. And, and you're a much better hunter when you can relax. And I still want to push hard and go hard and give it all my effort. Um, but I, I just don't put that mental stress on me so much. And I take it in. I enjoy it and realize that I work all year long for this one week to go challenge myself in the mountains or whatever it is, the two weeks or you know whichever tag or hunt I'm on. Yeah, I've waited all year. My family's sacrificing because I'm away. You know, I'm sacrificing at, at at work. I've got people handling. You know, so I've made all this effort to go enjoy my time. I better immerse myself in the experience and take it all in. And so I've definitely done better at that the last you know handful of years of just relaxing and let it come. And I seem to have more success because of it. <laughs> that getting long in the two starting to pay off now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. You're way younger than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Is. But yeah, what a what a wild hunt. And, you know, you, you bring up some good points with the fire. And, you know, we talked earlier about how these animals are creatures of habit and live in the same drainages. But every year the conditions are different. And it seems like Mother Nature or the hunt or the hunting gods or whatever you want to call it, it's always going to throw all these challenges and hurdles in front of you, no matter which hunt it is. It, it never goes perfect. You know, you get on one of these hunts and, and all of a sudden you've been planning for it and now it just rains for eight days straight <laughs> and snows in the high country and that fogs in. And, and so you just always have these challenges or if it isn't that, like maybe you got these lightning storms that are coming in every afternoon and so then you can't camp on the peaks. You got to camp down. Or like you say, the moisture content where you would have thought that would have been the best year to draw that Utah tag, but now all of a sudden their horn growth is down and so you know, you've got to look for, for the absolute exception to the rule instead of just a good bull that would have grown that big like you said they grow 10 to 20 inches less so it no matter what tag you draw what hunts you're going to go on like you almost have to just prepare yourself for the challenges yeah you just make the most of the year that you have the tag in it and enjoy the experience too many people just don't enjoy the experience anymore i you know i see it with our younger generation that are out there they're you know, we're, we're too busy doing selfies and doing all of that stuff and posting that stuff instead of enjoy what mother nature's put out there. It's big, beautiful country. You never know what you're going to see when you're sitting behind your glass or just enjoying that experience. You know, we're back in the office enough that you can, you can look at all the social media. You're not going to really miss anything. That's not still going to be there when you get back. Yeah. You know, if you're sitting there looking at your phone, enjoy what's out there. Cause it, it truly is beautiful experience and the best, times i've ever had have always been in the outdoors yeah i um yeah i think a lot of people are struggling with that nowadays is is a lot of people just want to show everybody what they're doing instead of actually enjoying what they're doing and so yeah, yeah to get away from that phone and to get away from social media and it, you know like i i want to i like putting content out there and i like sharing with people but you know, there's a there's a time and a place. I like to be out there and have that phone off and immersed in that experience. And when I'm focused on the task at hand, whether that's hunting a big buck, whether it's fly fishing a river, like just to take it in and just think to myself, just for a sec, like 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 you're out here and you're out here doing this, like this is as good as it gets. This is as much enjoyment in my life as I, you know, it, it's just so enjoyable to get away from that phone and not always be focused on showing everybody what you're doing or telling everybody how cool you are, but actually being out there and enjoying it. And there's so much of my life 
that I that I never capture for social media because I'm too busy enjoying it. You know, whether it's fishing a dry fly on the Madison with a salmon fly, like I don't want to take time to get on my phone or to show somebody I'm catching a fish. Like I'm walking up and down those banks for ten hours that day. You know, watching that trout come up and rise on that fly and hit it like a like a white shark taking a seal. Like it's so enjoyable to me that I just have to immerse myself in it. But but yeah, I think we we all need to do a better job of that. A really enjoying the journey, not the end goal. Not be so focused on that one eighty buck that you don't enjoy all the moments or the ten days leading up or the scouting leading up. Like enjoy that that whole wild ride that you're gonna get out of that hunt to that end goal and whether you get it or not just enjoy that experience yeah it's so fun you talk about not capturing it and you know recently i was on the road and i watched you film a show from elk and i i knew you were self-filming last day and you arrowed that buck or bull elk that was coming out of his bed i think you're in eastern montana and got that filmed on your own it's for somebody coming that films Oh my goodness, man. I truly appreciated the extent you went in to go do that. And unless somebody's self-filmed a spot and stock on the ground hunt like that, nobody knows what goes into that. My hat's off to you. That was absolutely phenomenal. Fun to watch. You you knocked it out of the park. I really enjoyed that. And uh, hope you get, keep doing it, man. It was badass. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um, well, and it is really fun to capture and, and you know, better than anybody, cause you do a lot of filming and self-filming. It is a super high degree of difficulty. It's, it's tough with a cameraman, much yeah. less by yourself, but you almost commit to capturing it. And I think for me, it's a mix of capturing some hunts and then just going on some hunts for myself. So then, yeah. you know, I kind of mix and match those. So when I go into a filmed hunt, like like uh, I just have the mindset that I'm going to capture it and get this hunt on film or I'm not going to kill something. And I, I just kind of immerse myself into like a different task at hand, like just trying to capture it all and put it all together. And it's so fun to be able to share with other people. But then by the time I'm done filming a hunt, I'm ready to get to a hunt and just worry about myself and hunting <laughs> and moving in, you know. So for me, it's a mix and match. But thanks a bunch, Mike. I really appreciate that. You know, and I think that's what wears on me. I don't get to do very many of those hunts anymore where we just go hunt. I mean, I'll do a couple of waterfowl hunts a year, and we'll do a few fishing adventures that I'll, I won't film. I won't do it. I feel horribly guilty when we go somewhere and I'm not hauling the camera because I just know I'm going to capture, you know, the most bizarre thing that's ever been out there that's going to be like, wow, that really is awesome. And it gives you the ability to, to share that stuff. But it's uh, I, I wrestle with that every time I go out when I don't have a camera that's out there. And that's why I do enjoy the, the membership and going with winners because, you know, I don't I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but I, I don't want to go shoot another 160 inch mule deer. You know, let that guy live or a 150 inch whitetail or whatever. I'd rather see it live. I'd rather take photos of it. I'd rather take video of it. And or I'd rather see somebody who's really going to walk up to that thing and go, Oh my goodness, that is phenomenal. What a great animal. You know, if you're going to take something's life, it should really be mean something to you. It should be special. So for me, I would rather take photos and having the sweepstakes, all of those types of trips that we go do and somebody wins that, I don't care what they shoot. If they're happy with it when we get there and, you know, it could be a situation where we paid $12,000 for a mule deer and we have a 200 inch potential and 
they see a 175-inch buck that's 30 inches wide, and they're coming uncorked. You know what? Shoot it. If that's what trips your trigger, it's fun, and it makes for really good video. We video about 70% of our winners. Uh, I try to go on about a dozen of the winner's trips each and every year. Um, I've done more. It's it's starting to wear on me. So we're kind of picking and choosing now some of the best of the best ones. I'm going to go on like the, you know, we gave away a brown bear hunt last year. Well, we gave it away two years ago to Kodiak Island. It was a $35,000 brown bear hunt. Um, and the guy that won it um, is a, actually a TV personality guy out of uh Fort Collins, Colorado, Chad Lachance. He does a show called The Fishful Thinker. Super excited. He's a, he's, he actually wrote a, an article for Eastman's where he killed a buck that was like a 216, 217 in eastern Colorado. So he's a, he's a really great fisherman, but he's a pretty accomplished hunter as well. But he won that in the drawing. He's been one of our members from the very beginning. And three and a half years in, he wins a brown bear hunt and goes to Kodiak. And this guy was like a little kid getting out there. And we killed him a really big bear, super exciting. And it was, it was just unbelievable to share that experience with him. And I get to go on, you know, 10, 12, 13 trips like that a year that are, you know, brown bear hunts, big premium elk hunts, you know, and it, I buy, I buy these trips. I know the outfitters. I know where we're going. I know their best trips. I paid full price for these. A lot of times that, you know, some of these sweepstakes and giveaways and stuff, you know, they're trying to do it as cheap as they can so they can get the most out of it. I want the content and I want the best experience known to man. So I know the outfitters. I know their best trips. I pay full price for them. I book them two to three years in advance that that uh, Kodiak trip. I had to book the hunt. The minute we walked away from that, I had to book the hunt for 2022. That's how far out they are sold out to be able to get that trip again. But I know in 2022, when we go on that, we are going to get a world-class experience. And the person that draws it is, there's nothing better. It's just going to be so fun to be out there. You know, we've got a, a trip that we're giving away, or we gave away here pretty re recently that I'm committed to doing every year. The San Juans here in southern Utah is, you know, one of the best units in the state. It's a, you know, $30,000 trip, and we give that away. It's on, most of it's on private ground, so a lot of those bulls get from the San Juan that are the best of the best. After some pressure, archery season and muzzleloader season, uh, they get pushed onto, onto that private, and we're going to have a chance to hunt those. So, once again, we're going to have another hunter that's super, super excited to be on that trip and you know possibly kill an absolute giant whatever he decides to shoot it's his it's his tag it's his fun i'm just going to be there to capture it so i i get to be on a lot of really good exciting stuff with a lot of people that are really happy man that's legit i gotta get on that uh membership program it's just like the more hats you can get your name in and you know i, I i'm just a blue collar guy but to have those opportunity at some of those hunts and have your name in the hat where you might get drawn it, it's worth it and i put so much into these states and raffles and into you know i i put a lot into my hunting to give myself those opportunities um but but for me and for other average guys out there to be able to to have a chance at a brown bear hunt or at that new zealand hunt or at the san juans you know in private ground and private ground like um like 
like it's not a bad thing. You're you're um <laughs> you're you get to go hunt the the best country with the best animals in it with zero pressure. Like yeah. like it's just you're you're in for it. Like there is so much great private ground out there that if you can get access to, you got some of the best hunting out there. Like public land is tough and there's still great hunting on public land. You just have to work really hard at it, but you know, you you can't um you you can't discount or you can't you can't just look away from that private grant. When you get a chance to hunt it, you might get in and have the the absolute best experience of your lifetime just because it is low hunting pressure where the animals want to be, and you're you're just getting access to some of the best country with the best critters. So, um, man, what an awesome opportunity! That does sound legit, Mike. I got to get in on your uh your membership. Well, we're gonna we're gonna cap it at twenty five hundred people. Like I said, I I started this to be able to gather content with people that are excited because you know when you go do that, we're gonna get some really good content. It's like having the dollars to buy the best tag in the in the unit or in that state each and every year. So I want to keep really good draws. This isn't about making money for me. I left a banking career that. If I was about making money, that was that was where it was at because it was it was a heyday. It was growing really good, and I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and like I said, I, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. So for me, this is about having fun and being with people that they love and they're passionate about hunting. So I want to keep the draws really good. When we started out this thing in 2015, and it's amazing how hard it is to give something away. We we had this idea in 2004 or late 13, and I thought, well, we'll go meet with the attorney, see what we need to do to get all the rules and stuff done. And by the time we got it ready to launch, I'd written the attorney almost $50,000 worth of uh, money to get us legal in the states that we could be legal in, uh, which is basically 48 states you can be a member in. And get this thing launched. And on top of that, I told my CFO that we were going to commit $300,000 out of reserved cash flow that we had set aside over the last couple of years, knowing this was coming, uh, to be able to do this. Because I had to launch this thinking, okay, I may never have a member join up. Now, I didn't think that was going to be the case because I had some close personal friends that knew it was coming and they knew what we were buying. And so, so I figured, okay, well, we'll get some members we're not going to totally bleed but i figured it would take us maybe two and a half three years to get to where we had a thousand members which would cash flow and it took us about three and a half years to get to where we had a thousand members at that point in time and lo and behold instead of giving away three hundred thousand dollars worth of trips guns and gear i moved it up to three hundred and fifty thousand in trips guns and gear and most of these things we have to dedicate a year in advance because we've got to advertise it a full year in advance. I just looked at the stuff for 2021 is basically what we're setting up for because we'll advertise all the stuff. Like we just did a giveaway the other day on the 10th of April or the, the 30th of April. I had to launch the stuff we're going to give away the 30th of April 2020. So I'm working on 2021. In 2021, the stuff I've got set up is we'll give away almost $460,000 worth of stuff there. So constant more and better and more and better. That's just the direction we're going. And we're going to pick and choose, you know, some of the trips we go on. We're giving away, um, you know, more of those waterfowl hunts and um, uh, upland bird hunts, but we've got, you know, probably still a good $250,000 to $275,000 worth of those 
trips like that elk hunt and a sheep hunt in Alaska, stone sheep hunt, brown bear hunt, you you name it, there's some pretty good stuff on there. And, you know, somebody's going to be a winner. It seems like every time we pull a, the, the name out of the drum, and we, we video every one of those. I wanted to stay really, really transparent with what we're doing. And we we invite everybody to, if you're in Cedar City, when we happen to be doing a drawing, stop by, we'll let we'll blindfold you and let you pull the name out of the hat. And, you know, if it's yours, good luck. But uh, we do that and we video it and then we email it out to all the members. We email out all of the, the shows that we do, that we do go film. So people are getting to see, you know, four years in all of the stuff that we've done and stayed consistent. So it's starting to grow pretty rapidly at this point in time. So I don't know how long it'll take us to get to 2,500 members, but um, when we get there, we'll cut it off and you'll have, you have to stand in line. So hopefully you're a member between now and then. I'd love to get a chance to go hunt with you, Brian. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I I'm sold. What a great vision. Um, yeah, I'm going to check it out as soon as we get done with the podcast, but yeah, what a great vision. It, it's all calculated risk too, isn't it? But there is no. risk involved. Like when you came up with this idea and, and believed in it and committed to it, like you say, you don't know if you're going to be able to get enough members to even make it work or make it survive or how many years it's going to take. Um, but you, you just believe in a project and it's like this, this podcast, you know, like how long was it going to take me to be able to monetize it? How much effort was I going to have to, to put in effort, money, time to be able to grow it? But I believed in it and I just believe in putting out really good content out there and guys will be drawn to it. Guys will find it, but it's, it's all calculated risk and you have to, you have to put yourself out there to, to get, to gain something, don't you? Yeah. With risk, there is, there's that potential for a reward, man. Thank, thank goodness you didn't have to uh, have everybody like me waiting for almost a year to get on there. You to You'd really be struggling, man. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, and and that's a big part of it too. Is is getting guys like you on the podcast and having interesting conversations. And so, you know, you are relying upon other people, which I've never been real good at relying upon other people. Like I want to take care of everything myself or do everything <laughs> myself. And so, yeah, that was kind of. Um, that was the tough challenge for me is is now I have to reach out to guys and ask them to be on the podcast and ask them to share, you know, knowledge that they've gained over over years of, of putting in the hard work and effort. Uh, but it's been amazing. You know, guys step up and it it goes both ways, you know, where where you help them out and they help you out. And it, it seems to all work out. But it's definitely risk when you start it. You're like, I, I don't know. I'm in my basement. I may get 10 people to listen to this podcast, but uh, through good content, it just keeps growing, you know, and and through your program. Like you thought about it, you came up with the best ideas for the program, you believed in it, and then like you say, you didn't go for these these budget or discount hunts through these outfitters. You know, you you paid full price for them because you knew you wanted to get the absolute best experience for these guys and don't want to cut them short for their for their dollar. So, you know, I think that's the reason why it succeeded and done well and going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's always a challenge when you start out as you're going to make it. And it just, you know, I think your belief like you have with the podcast, you keep going. I know every time I'm on the road, uh, I've got you plugged in and I spend a lot of road miles. I'm about 40 to 50,000 road miles a year. So I've listened to a few of your podcasts on more than one occasion and multiple times over and over. And, you know, I think like spending the hour, hour and a half listening to a podcast is 
you know, I related to a, you know, somebody you're going to do a guided hunt. I'm going to get some information off of every one of those times that I sit down and listen to that, that is going to make me a better hunter, a better person, better human being in general. And if I only get one thing, it, it made me a better person. I mean, it's way better than running down the road, listening to music or doing something like that. I like and value the information and the people you've had on the podcast are, uh, are truly some world-class hunters that, uh, have, have had some major success and I learned something from every one of those guys and gals. That's it, I appreciate it immensely. Man, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it is like you get to gain knowledge. It's a great way to pass the time. And, and I think that's the true sign of intelligence is when you can learn something from everybody, just like you stated, Mike, like I am in, um, I am constantly learning. I'm constantly trying to gather information. I'm constantly trying to to get better and improve. And I think when you have that mindset in life, like like you just um you you pick up so much along the way that does make you a better hunter, a better person because you're willing to learn. You're willing to to let some you know even somebody that has less experience than you and and, and you know hasn't been on as many hunts you still can get something from from the conversation and get something from them. So I, I really think that's a true sign of intelligence when you're constantly learning and evolving through life. And I never want to stop. I like I love no. I love being able to to learn and try to get better. Like I I think that's what I really enjoy about life is just and I love taking on new tasks and things I'm you know to challenge myself and things that are difficult out there and things that I'm not good at you know it, it's fun to take on those challenges as well but I think that's the key to life is just to continually be learning. Yeah, get rid of the arrogance and just realize you can learn something from everybody. You know, even my kids, I mean, you know, 14, 16 and and 19, I I know that uh, I can learn something from them, especially with electronics and technology. I you go to the resource, they know how to figure figure everything out and you, who cares what age they are, whether they're at anything. You know, listen to them and be receptive. You can learn something from just about everybody that's out there. Yeah, and it's uh, it's almost like letting your your ego down a little bit too. You know, like you have to let go of your ego, I guess, to be able to learn from some of these different people. But I think it's so important to just be humble. You know, not have an ego or an arrogance about you. And you know, it's it's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. You definitely want to have confidence and believe in yourself, but you don't want to be arrogant thinking you know everything about everything. Like there there's so much in the in the world to learn and so much about hunting to 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 learn and to gather and and a lot of it's just all theories and and, and experience and then <laughs> you know knowledge gain like a as far as uh, you know i don't read too many scientific document documentations like on 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 mule deer it's all my experience in the field and yeah. and experience through my own eyes or that i hear from somebody else that has experience you know but yeah it's it's kind of a a wild theory but i do think that's the way to approach life yeah, it's amazing when you're, you know, whether you're talking mule deer hunting or hunting or elk, and, and you start getting that confidence to the point that it starts to maybe become a little bit arrogant. We all have it if we're good and get it done. And it, there's nothing like that to go out in the woods and you, you just know you've got this all figured out. It all comes wired, calling elk or whatever it is, stalking mule deer. And all of a sudden, you you have one of those years that is, in my opinion, is just, you know, you didn't need a piece of humble pie. You needed the whole pie. And the the good Lord is going to dish it up to you whenever you need it to that extent. And 
I've had a few pies over the over my time frame. It's it's not as often anymore. I I, I like a piece at a time now instead of just the whole pie. <laughs> <laughs> Western hunting is so good at humbling you, isn't it? Just when yeah. you think you got it all figured out or you think you're dialed, like you'll just get conditions and and things thrown in front of you, or you you make mistakes or or you do things, but it's constantly humbling you. You like a, I I think that that is a good thing. And it's why we enjoy it is because it is so challenging and because it can humble you at any point in time. And, and um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a lot of what the fun is, too, is that, um, you know, each and every hunt, each and every year, you have to prove you have to prove that you have what it takes and go yeah. out and harvest another one like the the mule deer this year, that 200 inch buck, you know, whether it's in Colorado or Wyoming or wherever I end up drawing that 200 inch buck doesn't know that I've killed a handful of those or it doesn't doesn't know that I've killed a bunch of 180s. Like I got to go out and locate a buck of that size, and, and then you know take on one of the most challenging things that the West has to offer, trying to arrow a mature buck, and I have to prove it again and again, over and over. Um, and, and that just isn't easy, and it can humble you each and every year, each and every hunt, and you have to be ready for it. But I, I think it's just preparing yourself to take on that challenge. Yeah, he's got an extreme will to live, and he does not care about your trophy room one bit. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, those and those things just have a knack for making the right moves, and their instincts are so keen. I mean, they've they've evolved from thousands of years avoiding predators, you know, avoiding mountain lions, which are way sneakier than I could ever hope to be. <laughs> like those cats, the way they they sneak through that high country. So you know, they've evolved to avoid those predators and to bed in the right spots and instincts and their intuition and uh man those those big mature animals even during the rut or even during the elk rut even those big bulls having all those cows around them they're more susceptible but they still use all that those years uh, of instincts and 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 intuition to to make the right moves doesn't it always seem like those big bulls they stop broadside right when they're behind a tree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like how many times have you needed them to take one more step and you're at full draw and they don't take it? Like there's got to be some sixth sense there or something, doesn't there? Yeah, and they, they trust that sixth sense. They know that hey, – and I think they do know that I can only hold my bow at full draw for maybe two and a half possible three minutes because they're going to stand there for about three minutes and two seconds. <laughs> it's so true it's so true yeah well in drawing on those elk um like you talk about that's your passion hunting those elk with a bow like like how many of those little nuances end up killing that bull or not killing that bull because of when you draw like drawing yeah. when his head's behind a tree or when he's not looking at you or when he's coming through there's so many nuances to learn to the stock of mule deer or to the the hunt of elk being able to move and flow with the herd and, and then you know having your instincts take over and knowing when to go all in and going in trying to call that bull that this is the right setup or trying to move in front of him and knowing that the wind's right and this is going to work out like there's so much guesswork into it that you almost have to trust your own intuition when when you're hunting them yeah and you get it wrong a lot you know when we first started sportsman's news uh you know i wasn't gonna take all of my money from the mortgage business and dump it in because i had partners so i said well i'm gonna guide a little bit for a few of these outfitters and people that i'd hunted with and i'm gonna gather content that way so that was kind of how we generated some of that well when you're doing a lot of guiding, uh, and I did a bunch here in Utah, a bunch in Colorado, 
we we got a lot of eastern people that were coming out west, you know, Pennsylvania and stuff where, you know, they're great world-class whitetail hunters, but they're a fish out of water when it comes to elk hunting, usually, unless they've been out a few times. And it would be amazing when we would be there with elk and you'd hear a bugle, you know, and I know that thing's, you know, half a mile away. Let's go, let's go. And they wanted to sit down and call right then. I'm like, no, no, you get to the point you're about dragging them by the ear going, let's go. We're going to go right up there and get in their wheelhouse. And I was used to always hunting with my buddies. So, you know, I'd go stick them in front of me, you know, 30, 40 yards and I'd call and stand back there and try and suck them by. And, you know, sure enough, that bull would walk right by him. And I had numerous clients that, you know, the elk is two feet from them and they never came to full draw at times. So, they just they don't have that knowledge of you know when do you draw when do you do do that stuff and you know my philosophy when you're chasing elk with a bow like that is you know what if you're not busting some elk out you're not pushing it hard enough and you're not truly giving yourself enough chance to be successful because you're gonna you're gonna bust some elk out if you're really trying to kill a, a really big bull and you're trying to get in there it's amazing what you can get away with that with elk that you can't get away with mule deer definitely couldn't get away with with whitetail for sure but you can, I mean, you can come to full draw and you can step out with that diaphragm call in your mouth. And when that bull busts and you don't drop your, you know, go ahead and release the arrow or let your draw down, you just let out a nice soft cow call. He's going to run about 10 yards usually and turn around and give you that nice quartering away shot that you want. But that comes from years of experience and, and not being freaked out and scared with the situation and just pushing the envelope. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really glad to hear that you hunt them the same way as I do. Elk are meant to be hunted aggressively. You have yep. to go get into them, and you don't want to be reckless and bust every elk out of the country. But you do have to break a few omelets to, or break a few <laughs> eggs to make an omelet. You know, you're <laughs> right. gonna have to spook a few elk to go get into the herd and go get into the party and get into that bowl. And yeah, like I, you know, mule deer is more of a patience game and waiting to go all in. And elk is too, like as you're traveling with them, choosing to go all in. But I just feel like elk, you got to go get into them. Go see if you can make something happen. And so I, I really, I like it. It feels so primal because you just got to go get into the herd and let your instincts take over and hope you make the right moves. But it's all those years of experience of getting into them, knowing what you can get away with, knowing what you can't, knowing which wind that you can deal with and which wind you got to back out of. But, uh, man, I just love that. There's nothing more primal than than going in on a herd of elk and trying to make something happen. But, yeah, you got to hunt them aggressively. Like, that's the way they're meant to be hunted. And they're nomadic by nature a lot of times if you don't take your opportunity you know they're going to yeah. move drainages or move draws or be in a different spot so when you do see that opportunity it's about trying to seize it so yeah. i'm glad to hear that you hunt them the same way i do i hammer it hard man you know you i've, I've drugged some of those guys that, that were guiding in there be like stop there's a there's a spike right there and i'm like well do you want to shoot it uh, no but we're going to spook it i'm like i don't care he's going to go the other way you know, when we get in there because he's bordering the herd, we need to get in there and boot him out. And I've had more than one guy stop when we're when we're done and either got it killed or blew him out. And I've, I've blown plenty of them out, I can tell you, and have them say, you know what, I've learned more in a day of hunting with you doing this than I've done three or four personal on my own trips out here. So that's always gives you a good feeling. But, you know, it goes back to that thing that, you know, we once you think you got it all figured out and you know absolutely everything there is to know, it's 
Here, here's your pie. <laughs> here's a full pie for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Man, that is so true. And and you bring up a good point, just like we talked about with guides, is um is is learning. And and there's so much information now out on podcasts and videos and and um, things that you, you can watch. But but also just hunting with with good guys, and you don't even need to kill anything. But just seeing how they do things, everybody's kind of got a little bit different approach and a little bit. Uh, some different tricks and tactics that they use. And so I, I think sometimes like just having good buddies that you can go hunting with, like you learn so much from them. And I also like like bouncing ideas and theorizing about the hunt, like in the downtime, talking about what we did on the elk in that morning or what where we're going to go next and being able to bounce ideas off each other. It seems like you walk away from that hunt learning so much, just teaming up with a buddy or a group of friends or even just meeting at camp at night. And it's so fun to to share that experience with somebody like I love hunting solo but I also love hunting with buddies and sharing that experience because you can always look back on it you know two three four years down the road you know you're having a a cold beer with them and you can reminisce about that hunt and all those elk you got into in that close call and then arrowing that bull and the pack out like like I really enjoy that part of it yeah, I enjoy I enjoy the camps. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm 51 now. I'm getting older. I mean, I like to go hard, but you know, the sad thing is, I, I'm getting to the point that I can't physically go as hard as I used to go. Um, you know, I, I still train. I do what I need to do to be able to get it done. But you know, when you're juggling everything with a with a family and and a business and all of stuff to go with that, I I just don't do what I used to. And you know, 50 the my grandfather said, if I knew I was going to live so long, I'd have taken better care of myself. And I'm uh, I'm starting to see what he meant at that point in time. But I enjoy the being around the camp and going and hunting. And like I said before, I don't always have to be the killer. I'm I'm pretty good behind the glass. So a lot of times now I I find myself, you know, let's take some people in here that want to go get it done. And I'll, I'll share that knowledge. I love sharing the knowledge of what I have and what I've learned over that period of time. And I'm not going to say I don't like sticking an arrow in a big bowl. Hopefully I get to do it in Nevada this year, but I, uh, I sure enjoy the camp and that camaraderie side of things that, that makes everything part of the hunt. It's just the camaraderie of who you're with on the hunt. Man, it sure is. Well, and you, you talk about, uh, like getting older and, and I'm still like young in my prime, but I know like at my age, I'm just far better hunter than I was in my twenties when I was, you know, when I would go super hard, like you just, you, you get, um, you, you get different advantages as you get older. And, and like your advantage now is your knowledge base. You've been hunting and, and hunting trophy critters for so many years in hunting, you know, mule deer and elk and in Alaska, New Zealand, all these different places is now you get to use all that experience. And so I almost think like, um, you know, your advantages just start to switch. Now your advantages and you've made shots on big bulls and shots on big deer. Like you have all this confidence that you can rely upon now. And now it's your knowledge and your skill set that is your true advantage in the woods, you know, I think. Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, you, you can't go as fast, so you've got to rely on those other those other tactics and everything that you've generated over the years. And it is fun to know that if if I can find it, our chances of getting that thing killed are pretty darn good. And you know, it doesn't always work out that way for sure. But you, you sure feel a lot more confident when you go. You got a tag in your pocket. You know, it's a unit where that grows big stuff. And then then you find one, or you find two, you find three. You spend enough time scouting. You know how to scout. You know the unit. You go out there and you you start tipping the odds in your favor that hey, I've got 
five, six, seven, eight animals on my hit list here, your odds of, of being successful are pretty darn good. And it's not, uh, you know, like everybody, a lot of people think that all of a sudden you, you just really get lucky a lot. <laughs> right once it turns into consistent success it's it's you you're making your own luck out there yeah. you know it's uh yeah just finding those things and and i'm the same way with a bow i need high opportunity spots like um you know i, I if, and just because i find one big deer doesn't mean i can kill that big deer like um you know i've got a lot of confidence i think i can move in i can make you know an educated uh or, or like a i can make a good plan and a good stock that's high percent but there's no guarantee that I'm going to kill that deer. So, you know, I may have to find a couple good deer during a hunt just to, to tip the odds in my favor that I'll get one right. You said it at the beginning of the podcast is that, you know, you do fail a lot. And moving in on those elk, you might find the bull you want. There's no guarantee that you're going to run an arrow through them. Like, you may have to find them again and again or find a secondary bull or yeah. just keep creating that opportunity. Yeah, the more opportunities you got in hand, the better off you're going to be, and that just comes with spending more time in the woods and and knowing what you're doing. Oh yeah, and believing in what you're doing, right? Is um yeah. like a, a a lot of you know when you first start hunting, you don't know what the right moves are, but once you start to harvest a few, just like you said, when you find a buck, you've got confidence that you can put yourself in a good shooting position and get them killed and make the right decisions. Like a lot of these new hunters out there, and you realize that when you hunt with kids or less experienced hunters. It's just not second nature to them. It, it all has to be learned, and, and we just don't realize that we've been learning for 20 years or 25 years of, of gathering this knowledge and this experience. So it comes second nature, but I really think – like believing in your process and believing in your game plan. Like I've got a game plan when I go hunt high country muleys, you know, I want to locate them. I, I want to bet them and then I want to bet them in their second beds. And then I want to come up, come above them with a good thermal wind in my face. And so I've got all these things and these things that I'm looking for. So I know when a buck's put himself in a bad spot and I believe I can get into range and kill him. But I, I think like knowing when they're in a bad spot or knowing when yeah. to go all in is it, such a, a, a huge, it's so advantageous as a hunter and it just it's just gathering that information getting that experience learning from the the medias that are out there well and it's it's amazing to watch people because i do get to see people of all different skill sets being you know with the sweepstakes and the pro membership and traveling with so many different people as hunters and it's surprising how you know how many people i see and talk to and am on hunts with that they have not generated a skill set. I mean, I have a bunch of guys that are significantly older than I am and don't necessarily have this a skill set. You know, they'll hunt once a year out there and, you know, it's their family vacation. And now all of a sudden they've won this world class trip. Um, they they don't have that knowledge or the ability to go get it done. Like I had a I had a guy that won a won a trip a few years ago. It was a really great elk hunt here in Utah. And he said, you know, what should I expect on the hunt? I said, you're going to expect probably a shot that's, you know, two to 400 yards. The farther you can shoot, the better. But when it comes time to it, I want to know, shooting off of sticks seated, how far can you shoot? Because I was kind of helping guide on that and film. We had a couple of us on that trip because it was local and so close. And we got up there and he showed up. Um, and I said, so how far can you shoot on sticks? And uh, what kind of sticks you got? He goes, well, I haven't had time to get any sticks. Well, it had been almost six months since he had won this hunt. And 
So I got in my sticks, and lo and behold, the first night we had an opportunity at the biggest bull I've ever seen on that ranch at 320 yards downhill, and we literally almost shot a box of shells at this thing and ran out of light before. And it wasn't like he, he was he was all over the place. So he just he never got that skill set. He didn't practice. He didn't take that seriously. So the fact that you learned from each individual experience and put that in the filing cabinet like I do, you know, it just makes you better down the road to be, you know, okay, I did this a couple of years ago. A buck was laying in a similar place. I know that I'm going to go, this is how I'm going to approach that. And, you know, it could be right and it could very well be wrong, but one more thing in the file folder to, to tag back into in the future to know that, Hey, this worked this time. This didn't, what went wrong? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, again, it's dropping your ego and looking at the situation and looking where you made mistakes and then try and don't dwell on them, but improve from them, you know, learn from it. And and uh, I, I think like uh, like we talked about, you know, learning in life, I think it's the same thing on those stocks and learning from your mistakes and getting better. Like you say, it just gets filed away in the filing cabinet. And the next time you come up against it, you, you have a you, you tend to make a better move or a better play on them. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of, of getting better is just uh, uh, learning from it and, and having that mindset always trying to improve. Yeah, we have a luxury that we get to spend a lot of time in the woods. And, you know, I used to take that a little bit for granted. I don't anymore. I, last year I spent more than I wanted to. I spent over 200 days in the woods and with a lot of different people, a lot of different guides, and a lot of time personally. Uh, but you learn a lot when you spend that much time chasing your quarry and, and learning them. Experience is the best teacher, isn't it? Truly the best teacher, man. I learned a lot from the bad experiences, and I, uh, I'm i pretty sure I've made every mistake at least a couple of dozen times. So I was a Marine, and uh, Marines don't have a tendency to be that smart. I did eat my crayons quite a few times. <laughs> uh, well, um, yeah, thanks for your service. And military guys, they have such a great approach on life, though, and such a great attitude. Like So much of it is just making up your mind that you want to get better and that you want to improve. And and um, that's um, one of the skills that it seems like um, Marines and military servicemen definitely have in common. Yeah, half about half of my office is military people. I, you know, they just they want to work hard. They want to get. And if you know something goes wrong and you yell at them, they don't have a tendency to go cry and want to quit. And we don't have any any snowflakes in my office. They don't do real well. They get melted. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it teaches such good um, discipline and, and, and just so many good traits that carry over in the rest of your life. And they just teach it and give it to you where like, like a, a, a lot of us civilians, you know, we either learn it or we don't. And, and um, I, I just think it gives you such a great skill set for life. Like it's, um, uh, I, I just see that common trait in you guys when I, when I talk with you guys and have in-depth conversations well it's a lot of fun it took, taught me a lot i did eight years of service and you know i've took the, that knowledge and plugged it all into what i do with every business and you know charge full speed ahead and make a whole lot of mistakes and hopefully you come out successful on the end and so far i haven't failed too bad yeah well and enjoying it along the way yeah definitely enjoying it along the way like i said i don't feel like i've worked a day uh the last 15 years and my wife would disagree. I work a lot, so 
<laughs> well, when you love to do it, it just isn't work. And uh, no, I'm the same way. Well, um, Mike, can you believe we did uh, well over an hour, hour and 20 minutes already? Wow. That's amazing. It's been an absolutely a great time and, and fun to share experiences and time with you and knowledge. I always, I always learn a lot listening up to the podcasts and, uh, you know, hopefully some of your listeners picked up a, a thing or two and a tidbit that helps make them a better hunter and nothing else. Keep listening. And it's, it's awesome. What you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, just our conversations before the podcast. And then this episode, it's just been great. Like I've learned from it and taken things away. So I know my audience will, and will connect with it. But, um, yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time and sharing and, um, let's keep in touch and see if we can put a hunt together one of these days and definitely get you back on the podcast. Uh, after you draw that Nevada tag and kill that 400 inch bull. Awesome, man. I'll be happy to do it. We uh, we won't be able to pull that off during hunting season. I'm sure we'll be having the same scramble we did last year, but let's plan it after uh, after hunting season settles down. Yeah, yeah, when we find some off-season. So, no, it sounds like a plan. <laughs> um, thanks again. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll keep in touch. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. All right. Fun podcast with Mike. Um, gosh, I really enjoyed getting to meet that guy and getting to know him. And uh, the guy is just a consistent killer. He really knows what he's talking about. Um, I asked for a promotional picture for the podcast, and he sent me like 12 of them, and they were all just giant trophies. Uh, so the guy's been doing it for years, a ton of experience, and uh, a good friend at Eastman's. And so definitely have him back on the podcast in the future. Uh, sponsor for today's show, Zamberlin Boots. Uh, again, I'm really excited about the boots that they produce. I've been using them for the last couple years. This year, I'm trying a new model, the 320 Trailite. I think it's going to be perfect for the mountains, but they've got stiffer mountaineering boots. Uh, they've got lighter soles. I'm actually going to try a pair of their tennis shoes for lower land hunts this year. So um, they've, bought a, they've got a bunch of cool products, so make sure to check them out. Thanks to Zamberlin. Uh, I also want to thank... Um, Yeti for their support of the podcast. Uh, Yeti has just changed the way I hunt. Those high-end quality coolers, like I never believed they'd make that much of a difference, but they they do. You just keep ice longer. You can keep food longer. You can have good food on extended hunts. You can keep ice to to ice down your you, you know if you end up killing and you got another buddy hunting, you can get that meat on ice, get it cooled down, especially during our hot bow seasons. Um, they got their their tumblers, their you know, their thermoses, they've, they've got uh, soft-sided cooler bags, which I just got, which I'm going to be using when I travel, you know, to Hawaii, when I travel to Alaska, and just use it all the time in the boat or wherever I'm going. Um, so just some great products. Thanks to Yeti for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over there at Eastman's, make sure to look, be on the lookout for that Nevada episode. Really pumped how that one came out. It's on the outdoor channel. Nothing on the internet for that one right now. Um, and yeah, we just got some good products coming out. Um, you know, be on the lookout for the new Beyond the Grids. Uh, Dan Picard, Guy Eastman, they do such a great job at the Beyond the Grids. And I have that Alaskan caribou hunt. Uh, they did an episode out of that one. So that one's on the Beyond the Grid internet TV show. Uh, be on the lookout for new articles coming in the magazine. Um, gosh, we're just really putting our heads together and, and trying to just come up with those next level articles that that really help you become a better hunter. So uh, if you're interested in a subscription, you can text Elevated319 to 22828. And uh, again, I really appreciate your guys' support on this promo code. Um, 
you know, it just shows Eastman's uh, the the kind of community that we're building and uh, the the passionate followers that we have here on the podcast. So um, just super psyched on that. Like I got an Attaboy email the other day for the promo code. So um, yeah, I'm it. I'm just really excited about it. It it pulls weight for me. And then um, you know, also like you guys are getting such a good deal in that magazine. Like I am a fan of the magazine. Every month when it shows up, I read it cover to cover and have since I was 20 years old. Um, so it's just such a great publication and a great company to work for. So thanks to those guys for everything they do. Thanks to you guys for everything you do. Listening to the podcast. Um, what is it? Subscribe and, and uh, rate in the podcast and, and, uh, and then also support over social media and things. Uh, you can, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. I think that's the only ones I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. Uh, with that, I'm going to get out and do a little bear hunt. It's been so good here lately. Um, I've been on some good bears, been sorting through a lot of mediums and smalls, but I think my counts to 19 so far this season, three shooters. Uh, I still feel it in my quads are blown up from this last bear I went on. Um, I had to drop about 2000 feet, which I thought I was used to, but I just dropped it at such a quick pace. Like, like trying to sprint down the mountain to go make a play on this bear and make time on him and then climb up the other side a thousand feet. He's in the perfect spot, perfect approach, crick bottom making noise as I'm coming in, downhill thermal coming right down the draw, which it wasn't a downhill thermal over there even when I got on that side hill, but I just knew what it was doing in that little canyon. And sure enough, straight down the hill, crick noise, creep in, and he's just nowhere to be found, just wandered off being a bear, but just a great big jet black. And I also saw a blonde boar that day that was a good one. Uh, best blonde boar I've seen in a while, just big old belly on him and big head. Like I, I don't know if it was a super giant or I know it wasn't a super giant, but it was definitely a good mature one that I'd run an arrow through. So super psyched to see him. I got uh, Dan Heverns down right now. Uh, tried to get him on for a podcast, but we're going to do some bear hunting here the next couple days and through the weekend. So I'm um, going to haul him around to do a little work here today and then uh, – get out and and try to keep finding these things it's such a fun season to be out and it it you know i know bear hunting seems like a black magic in fact i got to put together another bear podcast i've got a really good guy to do it that has been guiding spring bears for the last nine or ten years uh, he's just a spring bear fanatic and so uh, be fun to get him on the podcast but I've, I've been exploring this year and going to new country looking at new drainages I'm just trying to find that epic next bear spot. And it's, it's you know, not that my spots don't produce, but it's, um, you know, there's some higher populations and, and a big bear has to grow up for, you know, 10 to 15 years to, to be fully mature. And so those those bears aren't in every drainage or around every corner. And so you got to find some of those spots that are tucked back in or, or back away from, you know, where guys don't get to or spots where I haven't been and chased them all around, you know, so looking at a lot of new spots for bear season, just super psyched on it. Uh, super psyched for fall. I haven't drawn anything yet in any state, which is crazy, but, uh, I got a couple good results coming up. I'm really looking forward to the Colorado results, the Nevada results and the Wyoming results, uh, for deer. So, uh, we'll see what we get there, and I've always got backup plans and over-the-counters. There's just such great hunting across, you know, the the western states, and and a good bull or a good buck can be found in nearly every unit. So um, definitely looking forward to fall, and hopefully I'll see a successful draw next to my name in the future. So um, it's tough out there in the real world, as you guys know. So uh, good luck in the draws. Keep working hard towards your goals. Uh, that's a wrap. I'm gonna get out bear hunting. Uh, check in with you guys next week.